Let's again pray. Oh Lord God, as we come now to open Your words, we come to a text of Scripture that we ask, Lord, why did You put it in Your Word? Let us, let us heed this warning, but also let us, Lord, be encouraged by it this morning. We ask, O oh God, that You would give us understanding by Your Holy Spirit. Without Him, we, we can understand nothing that You say to us in the pages of the Scripture. Lord, we would ask that You'd bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word for the sake of Jesus as we pray in His name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6, we'll begin at verse 1 and read this morning through verse 7. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Now the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was spelling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it up. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we looked at all of 2 Kings chapter 5, and we, we looked at Elisha and Naaman. You remember Naaman? He was a very important general in Syria. He, he viewed himself as that, and he was. He, the Lord had granted Syria victory through Naaman, and, and he had everything one could imagine, even leprosy. And so he came to Israel, he came to Samaria. We saw the despair of Israel's king because as Naaman came and a letter from the king of Syria came, Israel's king thought that he was picking a fight. We saw how God's ways are often offensive. They were to Naaman when he was told to go and to bathe in the Jordan River, to, to rinse in the Jordan River. He said, is there not a better river? Is there not a better river in Syria I can go? But he went. And he was cleansed. Not only of the leprosy, but he was cleansed on the inside. And we saw how God's work is effective. That work of salvation. That work of redemption. And finally, we saw the danger of God's grace. And how with Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he was given leprosy. Because he went and he lied. 
concerning his master. And he received a gift that Elisha did not want to receive. Why? Because he wanted Naaman to know that the grace of God could not be bought. And so now we come and we have a very short text before us. And we, we have a text about an axe head floating. Now there is a danger in this passage that one can go off in the wrong direction. And we ask ourselves this question, why is this story about a floating axe in Scripture? The easy answer is this, that it shows us the power of God working through Elisha. And that's what we have been seeing over the last few weeks. Elisha performing miracles. Elisha performing these miracles in the, in the power of God. Elisha being a prophet of grace to the remnant of Israel. You remember the remnant. 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Now some will rationalize this miracle by saying that Elisha just merely poked around with a branch. He cut down and the place indicated until he found the axe head and then simply pulled it up with a branch. Others will allegorize this text. That simply means that they hold that, that the text means something other than what it says. Some would say that the axe head is a human soul. The sick, the cross, the, the river, something other than the Jordan. But there is no warrant for that here this morning. The axe head is a real piece of iron. The stick is merely a, a stick, not the cross. And the river is simply the Jordan River. And then others will try to moralize the text. They find in it some lesson that they fancy that it teaches. Now there are lessons that we're going to learn, no doubt. And yet we, we do not need to do anything this morning. But this, let the text speak. Listen to what it says. Learn from it what it teaches us about God. And, and it teaches us three things concerning God and his ways. And the first thing we see is this God's increase and God's providence in verses one through four. Now, now, what is the problem that led? We see the increase that God gives to the sons of the prophets in verses one and two. The sons of the prophets, they go and they say to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small. Why? There's too many of them. They, they need a bigger house. Now, the sons of the prophets, they experience something that every church hopes to experience. They were literally busting at the seams. Oh, how we would praise God one day if we were doing that, busting at the seams of this sanctuary. God had increased the number of the sons of the prophets so much so that they needed a, a bigger house. And so to them, the solution to these growing pains was quite simple. Verse 2, let us go to the Jordan, each of us there get a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. Now they were growing because 
of the teaching and the, the tutelage of Elisha. And we may just be tempted to say that Elisha was so charismatic that they, they people, uh, young men couldn't help but come and sit under his teaching. But no, it's not Elisha, it was God. Now again, these men are part of that remnant. God always preserves a remnant. God will always preserve a remnant throughout this world that truly worships Him, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God gave such an increase at a very difficult time. Why? Because the vast majority of Israel, they were out worshiping false gods. It is during that time that the Lord gave an increase to His people, but especially the sons of the prophets. Now we need to remember it is always God who gives the increase to His church. Now we hear that and sometimes we want to be lazy. We don't want to pray. We don't want to do anything to, to, to see that the church grows. We just, we just say, well, God will grow His church when He grows it and there's nothing we can do. That's, that's laziness. And that's sinful. Elisha was doing something. What was he doing? He was being a prophet of God. He was preaching and teaching. He was preaching the word of God to the remnant. He was teaching these men. And, and God gave to them an increase. Now we may try to do some things and, and God may not bless those efforts. But one thing we should all be doing this morning is this. We should be praying. You should be praying every day that the Lord would grow His church here. And, and as we do so, we are reminded that God is sovereign over His church. He grows the church as He sees fit. And so that's the first thing. We see God giving an increase to the sons of the prophets. But, second, but then we see God's providence. And we see it in a quite unusual way. And when we read verses 3 and 4, you probably didn't think much about it. One of them, one of the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, please... Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Now we hear that. And we say, well, that's just a straightforward summation of what happened. A man asked Elisha to go. He went. They cut down a tree. And then we know the rest of the story. But here we are, we are speaking of God's providence as we speak of God's fascinating and an unguessable way of working out matters for the good of his people. And what was the one matter that needed to be worked out in this text? Elisha had to go. Elisha had to be there. The presence of the man of God turns out to be that crucial Factor. What if he had never been asked to go with the sons of the prophets? Or, or what if Elisha said, you know, I have too much to do today. I have to cut grass. I have to clean the house. I have to do this. I have to do that. And if he did not go, then this miracle would have never happened. A young man asked, please go with your servants. Now sometimes we just merely pass over the little details, but this text shows us the importance of little details. And how they can make all the difference. There was no way that either this prophetic student who asked Elisha to go. Or Elisha himself knew 
that, that the question and the response would be so critical. And that's what God often does, doesn't He? He often arranges circumstances before we ever know we need them. Again, that's how God works in His providence. God's providence was at work at the, in the request of this student and the consent of Elisha to go with them. And we often think nothing of such events. But we see here that God was already at work providing for a need that was at this moment in time unseen and unknown. And he often does that for his people. He provides for us even when we fail to realize we are in need of anything. And then the second thing we see is found in the first part of verse 5, and that is God's concern. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cries out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Now what is God's concern here? His concern is for a simple need. One of these young men, they were cutting maybe a rafter, his rafter for the house. And the axe head fell into the water. And so we have both a simple and an individual need all at the same time. Now for a moment, go back to, to chapter 5. Again, last week we were looking at Elisha and Naaman. And what did we see? Naaman had an individual need, but that individual need had huge political ramifications. Now after this story, as we continue on next week and in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to encounter um, two stories of military engagements. And so last week and in the coming weeks, what do we have? We have, we have scenes of international politics, foreign affairs, military strategy, a national crisis. And in the middle all of that, we have a man losing his axe head. Doesn't make much sense to, to us, does it? But this tells us something of the greatness of God. The greatness of God in large measure consists in the fact that God is faithful in the little things. Again, we rejoice that He's faithful in the big things. We rejoice that God was faithful in our salvation. That's the biggest thing we could have done for us. God saving us from our sins and delivering us from His wrath. We rejoice in that, but how often do we rejoice in the little things? You know, you are here this morning able to worship God. We, that is a big thing because we're commanded to do, to do that. But, but the little thing is the fact that you got here safely. You know, we make a mistake when we confuse God's greatness with bigness. Or when we associate His greatness only with Bigness. When we do that, what are we doing? We carve out for ourselves a graven image of the living God which shapes Him in our image. That God is so great dealing with all the big things in this world that He cannot be concerned with the little things in my life. That is not the God we worship. 
That is not the God who has saved us. God is not so busy or so preoccupied or so distracted or so pressured under time constraints that he does not care for everything and every part of our lives in this world. Part of the greatness of God appears in the fact that he does attend to the small problems, the small details of life, the individual details, the mundane and ordinary affairs of a believer's life. He cares about those things. He cares about here a man who lost an axe head. And Jesus tells us that He even cares about the hairs of our heads and how they are numbered. Some of you have a great many numbered numbers of hairs. Some of us do not, but they're numbered. And the third thing we see is God's power. Again, we see that power being exercised through Elisha. This man cries out after the axe head falls into the water. Oh no, my master, it was borrowed. Now why is that important? Because it reveals to us that these men were poor. They could not even afford an axe. He didn't own one. He had to borrow one. And and think of an iron axe head. That would be, be quite expensive. And this young man probably realized as the axe head fell into the water that he was going to have to pay for it, not with money, but with sweat equity in the coming weeks or months. Now, our reaction will be this. Well, we'll just go down to the hardware store and buy another one. We lose one, we go and buy another one. But the young prophet would say, with what? They didn't hire a contractor to do this work. They were doing it themselves. Why? Because they had no money. Or if they had some money, it wasn't very much. And so here was this genuine need for God's help. Yes, it's minor to us. We say an axe head. We'll just go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy another. But it was not small to God. And so Elisha asked the man, where did it fall? The man showed him the place. Elisha cut off a uh, stick and threw it in in the water. And what happened? The iron head floated to the top. And Elisha said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Now when we hear this miracle, it's not flashy, is it? Like other miracles. As we read the text this morning, we might not even have thought much about this text. We just say, well, Elisha knew where it was at. He, He threw a stick in there and it came up. No, this is God at work. This is God at work for this young prophet who had lost an axe head that did not belong to him. And so, so the first thing we, we, we understand by way of application is this, that God's providence works in such a way that God works before we even know we need God to work. Again, as we go through the text again, these men had no need by the end of the day they would need God working for them, but God knew. Now, God knew because God knows everything. God knows all things at all times, and He knows all things at all times exhaustively. 
That's one reason why you and I will never be God. Our knowledge is limited, very limited in this world. And oh, by the way, in the next as well. But God knew because God decreed. God decreed that this would happen. And, and God is always at work for the good of His people. Always. Now we doubt that sometimes, if we're honest. We doubt that God will truly live out what He says in Romans 8.28, that all things work for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. But we see that this morning. God is always at work for the good of His people, even when we lose something that is very minor to us, like an axe head. God is at work for us. God works in the big things of life and in the little things of life. Our God is great. He is a great God. He is the only God. And we're going to hear that tonight when Jesus reminds us of that fact and how Jesus is the only way to the only God. But God is great and He, he, he does great things for us. But He also is faithful in the little things. God truly does work all things together for good. For those who love Him, for those who are called according to His name. And you may not even know today that you have a need, but if, if it is there, God knows already. And He will provide for that need in a way that He sees fit and in a way that is for your good. The second thing I want us to know by way of application is this. Let us take heart this morning that it is God who gives increase to His church in His time. Now again, we're praying for that. We're praying. I hope you're praying for that. If not, then you should be. You know, you hear me praying every Sunday morning, even Lord fill this place every, every morning, every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And that should be our prayer. Our, our prayer should be that God would, would work in such a way that there is not one pew, one seat available this morning or this evening. That the people of God would love to be together and in the worship of God. That should be your prayer for this church. That, that we would become so full that, that we could send 50 of y'all out and plant another church somewhere else. That should be your prayer. And it is God who works through means. It is God who works through the prayers of His people. Now, now many times we're impatient and say, Lord, why, why haven't you increased our numbers? Lord, we're, ho hopefully we're doing things right. I know we don't do everything right at all times, but Lord, we're, we're worshiping you in the way that you command us. Lord, we, we are preaching the word. Why is it, Lord, that you're not increasing our numbers? And that's when we are to wait upon the Lord. But we're not to wait in laziness. You should be praying. The second thing you should be doing is telling others of Christ. That's what you saw in the early church in the New Testament, Right? Did they, did they keep the gospel to themselves? No, they were constantly telling others of Jesus. And some of you have said this before. You, you have the ability to reach certain people that I will never be able to reach because unless they come here, then they will never hear from me, but they'll hear from you. 
And so you should be sharing the good news of the gospel. You should be praying that God would give increase in His church. And as we do those things, we're faithful and we pray and we, we do what God asks us to do and we wait upon Him and in due time He will increase His church. It is His church. He can do with us what He pleases. The third thing is a question, is God concerned for His people? I think if I were to ask you that question this morning, you would say, absolutely, God is concerned with His people. Is He concerned with the small things in your life? Our text reminds us this morning that He is. And so as we think of those small things, those little problems that we have, the, the small details in life, we should, be we should be taking those to God in prayer. Now, if we don't believe correctly concerning this, then those little problems, those small details, those insignificant matters will pile up and we will never take them to God in prayer. Why? Because we think, well, God can't be bothered with my little issue. And this will lead us to do what? We'll think upon those little issues. We'll brood over them. We may even be led to despair over them and ultimately we will be fearful because we have not dealt with them as we ought. Heaven is God's throne and earth is His footstool and even if you lose an axe head in the river, the Jordan River, not for us, the Jordan, but the Pearl River, even if you did that, God is concerned with that. Fourth, God has all power and can supply us for a genuine need. Now, sometimes we need that divine wisdom of God to make it clear to what our need is. We, we must understand that God may supply our need in either a, a marvelous way or a mundane way. And most of the time, it's a mundane way for us. It's a very boring way, but God does it, does it? He provides. But what our text reminds us of is this, that our destitution in, in, is the arena for God to help us. We are destitute. Now this man, he could have jumped over and tried to find the axe head himself. And maybe he would have found it. You know, the, the man of God demonstrating God's concern for this young man and for that accent. He brought it back up so that that man could retrieve it. And, and so, so our text reminds us as well that, that our emergencies are all uh, are props for God's finest acts. And as we think of our need this morning, what is our greatest need? You already know that if you're... If you're a Christian, you know what your greatest need was. It was salvation. But if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you also need to know that your greatest need is salvation. Now, why is that? Because we sin. We sin daily. We confess that on Sunday mornings. 
uh, corporately. I will confess that tonight in the pastoral prayer for all of us. We, we sin. We are in need of being saved from our sins and from the wrath of God. And as we recognize that we are destitute in that area, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn merit with God in heaven. That merit has already been earned by someone else, and that is Jesus. And what we are to do to be saved and redeemed, again, that is our greatest need, is to believe in Jesus in faith. And you might say, well, that's a work I must do. No, faith is a gift from God, the Bible tells us. And so if God gives you faith, He gives you a new heart, He opens up your eyes and your heart to the fact that you are destitute before Him. You can do nothing to save yourself. And as He does that, He then points you to Jesus. And He points us to Christ and He calls us to believe in Jesus, His Son, in whom He is well pleased. Now tonight, we are going to hear Jesus say these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You remember last week, God's ways are offensive? God's ways are offensive to many when they hear that. You see, we will enter into the glories of heaven either through God's way or we will never enter at all. There is no other way. We're not to be praying to any other person. We're not to be praying to anyone, but, but God through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit assists us and, and we need to understand that we have a need and that need has been met in Jesus. And we are to come to Jesus and we are to believe in Him. And that need will not only be met, it will be completely fulfilled with nothing left for us to do. And so if God cares for an axe head falling into the water, He cares for our souls. And He has given to us the one, the one and only Lord and Savior that we need in Christ. Come to Him today. And find that greatest need that you have, salvation, to be filled solely through Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you today that even though this text is not flashy, this miracle is not flashy. Lord, there is so much to learn from it. We thank you for teaching us this morning. No, God, may we always bring every need that we have to you in prayer. And I pray this morning that, that you would cause us to see the importance of bringing our needs to you. Even those small details and issues of life because you care for them. And oh God, I pray and ask if there are any here today in need of salvation, that you would grant them that salvation that is found through Jesus by the working of of your spirits. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.